Well, good morning to you all. If you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. I'm not going to read it because um, I always run out of time. And uh, we'll go through it verse by verse as part of the message. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit would just move among this place now. That he'll touch our hearts. He'll open our eyes. He'll open our ears. That we may see you, Lord Jesus. That you'll reveal yourself to us. That we may be changed by our encounter with you today. We ask all these things in your precious name, our Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ. Amen. The person we're going to look at today has two names. His name, his Jewish name is Saul and he has a Roman name, Paul. So sometimes a bit confused. I remember when I was younger, I used to get confused about when I was going through the Bible and the New Testament. But he has two names. His Jewish name is Saul and his Roman name is Paul. He was born into a devout Jewish family from the line of Benjamin. His parents were Pharisees, fervent Jewish nationalists who adhered strictly to the law of Moses and sought to protect their children from contamination from the non-Jewish people they call Gentiles. He was well educated. He grew up in Tarsus, an important Roman town in the center of trade and learning. He had an influential university of philosophy and learning. He could speak his family languages of Aramaic, but he also spoke Hebrew, Greek and Latin and several other languages, which is more than I can do. He was a Roman citizen. He was, brought, he was brought up, which brought him legal status and a high social standing and connections. He was sent to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, who was the most respected Jewish religious teacher or rabbi of the day. He studied Jewish history, poetry, psalms, and the works of the prophets for over five or six years. So he spent a long time studying the word of God. He learned during this picture period he became a um, lawyer, so he knew how to make arguments and, de- and argue cases for both the, the um, defendant and the accuser. He was, he was destined to become a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme Jewish court of 51 men who ruled over the Jewish life and religion. Saul was zealous for his faith. His faith left no room for compromise. Wouldn't you like to have had a son like Paul? Saul? He was highly intelligent, well-educated, devotely religious, totally committed to God, well-connected, moving in high places, respected, a lawyer, hard-working, committed, destined for the highest offices in society, both politically and religious. Paul was on course for great things. So let's turn now to Acts chapter one, to, Acts chapter nine, sorry, verses one to nine, to see how his life was transformed and changed. It says, "Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the Way, which was the Christian church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem." Paul had been there. Paul had probably been in, in the Sanhedrin when, they, when 
Peter was, a committed, was acquitted because of Gamaliel's intervention. Paul was definitely there when Stephen was stoned and martyred. So Paul had seen the effect that Christ had had on other people's lives. As he set out to persecute the church, as he set out to imprison people who faith, suddenly it says in Acts 9 verses 3 to 4, as he, neared, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. You know, we read throughout the Old Testament and throughout Scripture when God's glory, when God's majesty, when God's splendor is revealed to an individual, he cannot stand in the presence of an almighty God. He cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. He cannot stand in the presence of one who is righteous, just and true because his own life condemns him. Because his own sinful nature, because of his own sin in his life, condemns him before a holy God. So Saul fell on his face in the presence of the awesome presence of God. You know, we have to cover our faces and shut our mouths when we stand in the presence of the holy God. Because he is almighty, because he is all-powerful, because he is supreme. So Saul falls to, falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul... Saul, why do you persecute me? It's great, isn't it, that God knows each of us by name. God knows each and every one of us. God knew Saul. He knew, he knew him intimately. He knew everything about him. Just as, he, as, as Christ knows everything about us. Just as Christ knows our, every detail of our lives, so he knew every detail of Saul's life. He knew his name. Christ knows your name. And you know, not only does he know our name, he knows the purpose, he knows what drives us, he knows what's behind us. He knew that Saul was going to persecute the church. He knew the motivation behind Saul, just as Christ knows the motivation and the attitudes of our hearts and our lives. So what is Saul's response to Christ's calling? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. Well, that's a strange question, isn't it? Here's God revealing himself to this man who's such learning. He knew the Bible inside out. Why is he asking who you are? Why is he asking who are you? If you look through the Old Testament, when people have a real encounter with God, when there's a dynamic encounter with God, so often God reveals him a new aspect of his nature, like the God who provides, the God who, uh, who is righteous, the God who heals. And here... Saul, thinking that he's having a great encounter with God, well, he is having a great encounter with God, is expecting to have a new revelation of the God who he is following, of the God who he's trying to serve. And here, he must have been absolutely shocked by the reply from heaven. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul would have heard about Jesus. Saul knew all about Jesus. But to have the revelation that God is saying that he is Jesus, the savior of the world, must have been devastating for him. His whole life, the whole purpose, the whole direction of his life was thrown in turmoil. He thought he knew God, but he only knew about him. He thought he knew uh, God, but he hadn't come and had an encounter with him. He knew all the facts, he knew all the details, but now he is meeting with the risen Christ. Now he is meeting with the one who has ascended on high. Now he is meeting the one who can transform his life and transform our life. 
if we look later on, how it transforms Saul's life. He says in Philippians 3, this man with so much skill, this man who's so much learning, this man who knew the rule, the law, he says this, if someone else thinks to have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whether, whatever things were gained to me, I now count them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I, can, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul here is saying that all that he had had in the past, all the privileges, all the things that were of benefit to him, he regarded as absolute nothing compared to knowing Christ. He was willing to give up all things to serve Christ. He was willing to bow the knee to Christ and submit to him. Because, you know, when we come into that when we come into the presence of God, when we come to, in the presence of Christ, when we realize our sin and our failure and our disobedience and our rebellion against him, it's then that we bow the knee before him. It's then that we submit to him. It's then that we acknowledge our sin and allow him to cleanse us and wash us. Because, you know, becoming a Christian isn't just sticking your hand up in a meeting. It's not ticking a box. It's not coming to church. It's not saying a prayer. It's not being baptized even. Coming, becoming a Christian is when you commit your whole heart, your whole life to Christ. You submit to his lordship of your life. It's no longer me, me, I, I. It's about Christ. It's about his glory. It's about his praise. It's about him. It's not about what, what God can do for us. It's about how we can serve him, how we can follow him in obedience and submission. That's what being a Christian is about. It's about a life dedicated to the glory of Christ and to raise up his name, and to be glory and honor to him. You know, when Christ, was on, when Christ was on earth, many people met Christ, but not everyone accepted him. Not everyone was changed by him. Not everyone allowed him to transform their lives. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to go their own way. And Christ let them. You know, if, when Christ speaks to you, it's your choice as to whether you seek to serve him, follow him, or go your own way. So, Saul, read on. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. This is God's Christ speaking to, to Paul. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the voice sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Here we see Christ doing a miracle in Saul's life. He makes him blind. He made him blind. Why did he make him blind? 
to show that throughout his life he'd been blind to the truth, that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ was the Son of God, that Christ was the Saviour of the world. And not only did that, but in making him blind, this man who had led men, this man who was a leader of men, now had to be led by someone else. He humbled, he humbled Paul. He made Paul humble because the scripture says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Paul was humbled by God. Paul was humbled by God. And after three days, that's significant, isn't it? Three days. What else happened in three days? Christ was buried and rose again in three days. So, and, and he spent his time praying and fasting at that time. He didn't eat or drink anything. He was seeking God to seek salvation. And then this wonderful guy called Ananias, who we could do a wonderful study on. He was an amazing guy. He, he's placed, he came to Saul and he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales from, from his eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So, so Paul entered in to salvation. And what happened after that? Well, he tried to do a bit of preaching, but he wasn't very successful um, because he was preaching to the Jews and they couldn't tolerate uh, his teaching. But he went for three years. He went off into the desert. Three years he went off. Why did he go into the desert for three years? Because he needed to relearn everything he thought he knew. He needed to understand the scriptures in the light of Christ. He needed to understand the truth. And he had so much baggage from the back past that he needed to be cleansed by the washing of the word. He needed to be transformed by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit so that his life, so be, his life would be, uh, have authority and power. Because he needed, to, he needed to get rid of, and don't we all need that? When we become Christians, there's so much baggage in our lives. We need to be taught by the scriptures. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need to seek Christ so that Christ can transform us. Because the desire of God is that we like Christ. We're like Jesus. When we come to know him, when we come to see Jesus for who he is, that's what our desire is, isn't it? To be like Jesus. To live a life like Jesus. To serve our wonderful, living, risen saviour. So following on, about 14 years later, I think it was, after, after um, he first met Christ on the road to Damascus, Saul starts his ministry. He starts planting churches and establishing churches. He chooses appointed leaders. He disciplines and challenges the people in the church, even some of those uh, in authority like Peter and James. He corrects and teaches the heresy in the church. He, uh, he does so many things. And yet, you know, in that life of service, in that life of service, we also experienced beatings, stonings, hunger, imprisonment, all for the sake of the gospel and all for the sake of Christ. And, you know, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about us living our lives, not for ourselves, but for Christ's glory. As I said before, it's not about me, me, me. It's about Christ. It's that we bring glory to him. It's that he gets the preeminence. It's not about us, it's about Christ. You know, we all have a ministry, we all have a service. Wherever we are, we can take the presence of Christ with us. We can take his presence into every area of our lives and we can bring glory and honor to him through the way we live our lives and the ministry that we do in our lives. I want us to sing a song.
in closing. It's Jesus, all for Jesus. Saul, Paul, was all for Jesus. His life was Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die, to die is gain. When he lived his life, he lived it for Christ. And I want us to sing this song, but only sing it this morning if you really mean it. Don't sing it because I've asked you to. Don't sing it because your neighbor's singing it. But sing it this morning because it's the desire of your heart to be all for Jesus. We can be for all things, but fundamentally we need to be all for Jesus. Thank you.